0: This is Catherine Otto. I'm here in Montevideo at the Uruguayan Society of Cardiology meeting on December second, 2013. I'm here with Dr. Robert Bono, who gave an interesting talk this morning on aortic stenosis, the new concepts in diagnosis and management. And I'm uh, happy to have you here.
1: Thanks, Dr. Otto.
0: So I'd like to start with a very practical question. A patient comes into into your clinic, and you think they have aortic stenosis. Uh, what do you look for on exam, and what in the history? What are the key elements in that patient management?
1: Well, of course, the the um, first things we do is. Uh talk with the patient and get a feeling for the symptoms. Uh, perhaps the patient is coming because of symptoms, and then we need to sort out whether this is uh, severe aortic stenosis or not, warranting intervention. Uh, perhaps the patient is asymptomatic and is being, b- being referred because of a murmur, and then if we suspect that this could be severe aortic stenosis in an asymptomatic patient, we really talk with the patient about lifestyle and whether indeed the patient could be having symptoms that are being minimized by uh, reductions in physical activity. And of course the physical exam is, is very important uh, to uh, Uh, reassure us that the patient does or does not have uh, evidence of aortic stenosis, the carotid pulses, the left ventricular impulse, the uh, character of the murmur in terms of its uh, intensity and timing. All of those things kind of uh, enter into our clinical consciousness as we're sizing the patient up and determining whether or not we need to do an echocardiogram.
0: So I know we all tend to go look at the echocardiogram ourselves, but you know the echocardiographers give us various information and what's recorded varies from laboratory to laboratory. So what do you think are the most important elements of the ECHO for your decision-making? Well,
1: the ECHO is clearly the, uh, the hallmark of, uh, of how we, we manage patients. It's the linchpin uh, uh, for our uh, decision-making. Uh, as you said, we probably should look at it ourselves and not just judge uh, decisions based upon the uh, report alone. So the things we look for, um, uh, first and foremost, are the, the obvious things, left ventricular size and function, evidence of left ventricular hypertrophy. Uh, pulmonary artery uh, hypertension, left atrial size as well, is the valve uh, calcified, aortic valve calcification, and, and or is a valve bicuspid. All of these things could give us important clues regarding um, uh, not only severity of aortic stenosis, but its impact on the left ventricle. And then, of course, you want to quantify the severity of AS uh, because of uh, uh, important data much of which you've generated, uh, telling us uh, that the severity of AS as uh, assessed by Echo Doppler is important not only in diagnosis but also in predicting the uh, likelihood that patients uh, without symptoms will develop symptoms in the short term.
0: So what do you think are some of the challenges in diagnosing aortic stenosis? I mean, it, it's simple when somebody comes in and they have symptoms and they have a loud murmur and the echo confirms aortic stenosis. But I guess so. one question would be if a patient comes in and they have symptoms and you think that maybe they have aortic stenosis on exam, but the echo doesn't show enough velocity over four, you know, how do you decide if their symptoms are due to aortic stenosis?
1: Well, this is where we, we do have to look at the kind of the new things that we're uh, seeing in our patients and reading about in terms of uh, uh, newer diagnostic uh, information in patients with aortic stenosis. It's, it's, it's much easier when patients uh, fit the bill uh, with a high peak velocity, a low mean, uh, a low aortic valve area, and a high mean gradient. And uh, not all patients do that, of course. So we, we are seeing more and more patients, or at least Concern that we're seeing more and more patients who have uh, aortic stenosis with uh, low flow and a low mean gradient, even though the valve area calculation uh, tells us that the aortic valve is either less than one square centimeter or less than 0.8 square centimeters, whatever our threshold is for AS. Um, and this uh, is problematic. It, it, it fits our understanding of physiology much better if patients also in that setting of low flow, have impaired ventricular function. They have LB dysfunction, uh, which may be causing the low flow state. And so uh, here that's uh, uh, something that we are familiar with, somewhat comfortable with, and we know that we can give low dose to butamine to enhance the uh, uh, contractile state, increase the flow across the valve, hopefully achieve a uh, peak velocity greater than four that allows us to uh, or at least tells us the flow has increased and the uh, valve area calculation remains uh, low to confirm that it's uh, aortic stenosis. That, that's a group of patients that we've come to recognize and feel comfortable with. Uh, the new kid on the block, the uh, newer group of patients, which is much less fully understood and more problematic, um, are the patients with normal ejection fractions and severe aortic stenosis who also have a low flow state leading to a um, peak velocity less than four and a mean gradient less than 40 millimeters of mercury despite an aortic valve area calculations suggesting that it's quite severe. And this is where we need to really put on our thinking caps, put together all of the uh, clinical skills we have um, and perhaps do other tests such as a CT um, study to uh, assess for the presence and severity of aortic valve
0: calcification. I think these are really important points. I think we all agree fairly well, I think, that a velocity over four in a patient with symptoms and a consistent physical exam, a calcified valve, that person has severe stenosis. The patient with a velocity less than four, the valve rate comes out less than one. I don't think we any of us think that means for sure they have aortic stenosis. I think it means we need to think about it. And, and maybe, you know, maybe for some people, it wouldn't be severe until the valve area was much smaller than that. And that's where it becomes really difficult. Um, dobutamine stress echo certainly has a role when the ejection fraction is low and has become a standardized test where, again, we then define severe stenosis as a velocity over four at any flow rate, typically with the valvaria remaining small, usually less than one. But The patient you've just brought up, I've I've seen as well, typically the elderly woman, small hypertrophied ventricle, calcified valve, but only, you know, a velocity between three and four, a small valve area, and I'm not really sure if it's aortic stenosis. I mean, is there anything besides CT and echo that helps us here?
1: Well, I think so. Um, First of all, we have to be aware of the fact that the valve area calculation is the Achilles heel uh in this analysis because it's uh uh dependent upon an accurate measure of the left ventricular outflow tract area which uh may be imprecise um and indeed that may not be circular in some patients maybe more of an oval and so the the calculation the calculator the aortic valve area is uh, I think uh, questionable in many patients. This is also, I think, a role for hemodynamic studies. If we have uh, every patient I've had, and I think I have had a few who fit this uh, uh, description of normal ejection fraction, significant left ventricular hypertrophy, small end diastolic volume, and a low flow state, and what we believe is severe aortic stenosis, all of my patients have also gone to the CAT lab uh, with the understanding that uh, if they're going to have surgery, we need to do the coronary angiogram anyway, but let's use this uh, um, opportunity to reevaluate the hemodynamic state and see if we can confirm the uh, ECHO uh, data, suggesting that this is a severe aortic stenosis uh, uh, despite the low flow state.
0: those are good really good points the other one that came out this morning and i and i know i've talked about with many people is the issue of hypertension in these patients because the ventricle is double loaded with hypertension uh, and aortic stenosis and when you think about the hemodynamics it's sort of paradoxical that the hypertension might either mask more severe aortic stenosis or it might be less severe than you think uh, because the ventricle is double loaded so i think we've all come to realize um, that treating the hypertension and, and re-evaluating the hemodynamics, either invasively or by echo, can be helpful as well. Um, so moving on to therapy, you know, we all now have choices of transcatheter valve replacement. We have um, uh, surgical valve replacement, of course. And then, of course, some patients, we may choose to do neither of those things. How do you decide which approach in your patient?
1: Well, this is also, obviously, an evolving uh, field and uh, somewhat moving target. Um, I um, am quite familiar now with using the STS score. Um, I, was, I was certainly aware of it and used to use it just as an example with my fellows as to what the risk of surgery might be in a patient that we're contemplating for surgery. Um, but now in the, in the era of TAVR, I think uh, assessing comorbidities becomes very important and this allows us to have really good discussions with our patients. All of my patients who have been reading uh, about this uh, come in wanting and anticipating that they could be a candidate for TAVR um, if, if indeed they do need to have their valves replaced. And this, this requires a very good discussion with the patients that TAVR is indeed transformative. It does open up uh, treatment windows that were closed for patients for uh, uh, up until now. Uh, but surgical AVR uh, in the hands of a good surgeon, a good surgical team remains the gold standard with proven efficacy and durability. Um, so especially for younger individuals and those who have only uh, intermediate risk, unless they're enrolled in a clinical trial to uh, compare surgery versus TAVR, uh, I certainly would recommend that they have, they have surgery. Um, but I have referred many patients for TAVR because of their uh, age and, and uh, uh, frailty and disability and things that make, make me concerned about their uh, candidacy for surgical AVR. Um, I think what we found, and you've probably seen the same thing, is it, now that we are part of a surgical team working with cardiologists uh, and have a TAVR center, we are part of the PARTNER trial, uh, that opens up a Pandora's box where patients are coming to us that we had previously not seen including patients who should have been referred to us years ago for surgery. And either their internists were not referring them because they were uh, uh, being told that the patient was too old, or the patients themselves were not interested in having open-heart surgery at an an advanced age. Um, And so now we are seeing these patients and having frank discussions with them because many of them are excellent candidates for surgical ABR.
0: Yeah, and I'm certainly finding the same thing. It's actually been rather surprising to me how many patients with severe symptomatic aortic stenosis um, show up once you have alternate uh, procedures who really are excellent surgical candidates and somehow been missed. It makes me wonder if we don't need to increase our education for primary care physicians and internists to get patients with aortic stenosis referred into cardiology sooner. Uh, What are your thoughts along those lines?
1: Oh, I agree entirely. Um, of, co- of course, the patients also uh, have a uh, important asp- aspect of the decision making, and I think in, in some cases it may be that the internist has suggested that they, that they see a cardiologist because they may need surgery, and the patients have refused in the past only because uh, you know they were they were old and not interested in having open heart surgery. And this is where TAVR now uh, opens up a whole new um, opportunity for them as well. Um, but clearly, uh, I think we do need to have a um, uh, probably better means of uh, educating all of our all of our physician workforce, not just the internists uh, and primary care physicians, but also cardiologists, as to you know who are the best candidates for uh, TAVR. Uh, when should patients be referred to a, a true valve center of excellence? And then uh, probably uh, most important, how do we define a, a valve center of excellence?
0: Yeah, I think these are very important points. The European Society of Cardiology's Valvular uh, Heart Disease Working Group has put out a paper defining it, and I'm sure there'll be more definitions as to what a heart valve center is. But I think the point for uh, primary care physicians and patients is uh, even if they are not contemplating surgery, referral to that center allows them to hear all the options uh, to be considered for transcatheter valve if they're appropriate, but to also have surgical valve replacement once they have all the information. Certainly transcatheter valve replacement's transformative, but we don't know long-term durability of these valves. There are still some issues re- related to higher stroke rates and paravalvular regurgitation. So we're, we're um, not quite there on, on uh, transforming completely toward a transcatheter versus surgical surgery. Still remains the primary uh, treatment for aortic stenosis in a patient with an acceptable surgical risk. So do you have any closing comments for us?
1: Um, Only one, um, uh, Catherine, that is uh, you made a very good point about early referral because I find it much easier to have a discussion with my patients that the time has come for aortic valve replacement when we've had a working relationship uh, and they've come to uh, understand what's. my thought process is all about and hopefully uh, trust my judgment uh, as opposed to someone coming in at a later stage and and seeing me for the first time and being told up front that uh, you need to have open heart surgery. Um, So I think early referral to uh, get patients into the system to get to understand what their natural history is likely to become over the course of time and be ready for it uh, is uh, something we can't overemphasize.
0: All right. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, see you at the next meeting.
1: Thank you, Catherine.